When you stop to ponder, nothing is more feared than that of the unknown. For example, there are thousands of caves in the world. In the United States alone, experts have discovered more than 17,000 cave systems. And, quite honestly, thousands more remain hidden and unknown. Occasionally, we witness firsthand these hidden labyrinths that lie below our everyday life that lie there in forgottenness. They have swallowed portions of highways, ground-moving equipment, vehicles, streets, homes, and even entire buildings, simply just opening up like a giant behemoth's mouth and swallowing everything around as it just vanishes into the abyss. Some caves are large, reaching depths of miles straight down, then branching off into thousands of miles of tunnels and passages. Others are very small and almost impossible for explorers to penetrate them. So exactly how many caves are lying beneath us? No one really knows how many or what distance these underground layers are or what effect they have on the earth above. The legends and lore of caves go back for centuries, quite literally to the earth's beginnings, and are ever-changing with underground rivers and streams still sculpting and forming them. So join us tonight, if you dare, as we dive deeper into the fear and allure of caves across the world. From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded, we become fearful to be deceived. Still, we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller, conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. So there are several caves we we could get into. The list is long, but uh, I've picked a few and I think Bill's picked a few. Uh, I'm going to talk about the first one. Uh, it's a haunted cave in Two Guns, Arizona. Now, Two Guns. That's a great name. Uh, don't you love that? It's like a Wild West for sure. Two Guns is actually nothing more than a little ghost town today. So if you've not heard of it, even if you're from Arizona, <laughs> probably not a surprise. The area is said to have uh, a lot of paranormal activity, which includes sounds of Indian drums, cold spots, feeling of dread and fear, and the smell of smoke. Others claim they've been pushed, pulled, or could even hear ghostly footsteps inside the cave with the gravel. Uh, it's a known fact that many Apache and Navajo graves were unearthed within the cave here, and sadly their remains were sold to tourists in the 1930s through the 1950s. little back on the history. 1860 to be precise. The U.S. Cavalry took a group of Navajo Indians from the area to an Indian reservation in New Mexico. Then, uh, about 18 years later, 1878, the Navajo returned and resettled into this area known now as the Diablo Caverns, near today the ghost town that I had mentioned of Two Guns, Arizona. In 1878, there was huge attacks of the Apache versus the Navajo in the area, where the Apache killed all of the Navajo that had returned, save three women in which they kept as prisoners. After the battle was over, the Apache settled into some of these cave systems here in the area. Today, the original entrance has collapsed into some of the cave systems. Uh, However, there is kind of a back door, if you will. This particular cave had a front and back entrance. Now, a neighboring group of Navajo had overheard the Apache had set it up camp and had the massacre against their people. 
so they formed their own raid on the Apache. The plan was simple. Start a fire at each end of the cave and smoke out the Apache. As they retreated from the cave, coughing and hacking, the Navajo waited outside at both entrances and shot them down dead. In the battle, it was confirmed death count of 42 Apaches. They were killed in either of the mouths of the cave. Today, if you enter the cave system from the opposite backside, you'll see long hallways with carved out rooms done by the Indians. Some of the cracks in the ceiling lead all the way to the surface, which provide a nice natural lighting to the cave and many of the rooms down below. It stands to reason why either tribe would want to lay claim to this, this natural form of protection from the elements, including the heat of the desert. Fast forward a little bit to 1914. Canyon Lodge was built by a couple by the name of Mr. and Mrs. Oldfield. They built the area with many stone structures and a trading post of sorts for travelers. Only remnants and a few of the walls and buildings stand today. All the roofs and the wood framing and rafters, of course, are long gone. There is a reference to what might be called a dungeon that is a slightly below ground and lined with thick rock walls. It's actually believed this was a root cellar of sorts to be a way to keep food cool. Later on, there was a transfer of ownership to a Mr. and Mrs. Cundiff. Then in 1925, a man with a great name that went by Henry Two Guns Miller bought part of the land and opened it, of all things, a zoo. However, the increasing revenue of selling off skeletal remains of the Apache and Navajo Indians that he found in the cave systems helped to aid with his expansion of the zoo and to eager tourists who visited. Well, I don't like that. No, that does not sound good at all. What could possibly go wrong? Well, you know, like people say, it's almost like our whole country's built on the Indian burial, Indian burial grounds. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that, that's some, you don't disturb the remains of the dead. That's not cool. Yeah, that's not cool. Today, there are tower-like structures and many stone cages built for the animals that are still there that you could witness today. No doubt it was a way to keep the animals cooler in the Arizona desert. Now, to add insanity of the location, Henry Two Guns Miller then shot and killed Mr. Cundiff, the man who owned the other portion of the property, and started a big land dispute. So if you don't like who you're in business with, you just shoot them and you try to take the land. Seems reasonable. He, of course, was arrested and spent some time in jail for the murder of Mr. Cundiff. He was, however, acquitted for the murder, where he returned to his beloved zoo. And as karma would have it, he was mauled by two mountain lions and bitten by a Gila monster. Now, he did survive the initial attacks, but he became very ill and uh, in bad health, so he had to leave his property. And that, folks, is an example of karma served cold, but still served nonetheless. Now, there's a gas station that is still nearby the property, if you go to explore. It was built in 1934 by Mrs. Cundiff. Uh, it was a Texaco gas station, one of the first of its kind in that area, after the death of her husband at the hands of Henry Two Guns Miller, as we had talked about. This became a huge tourist site, including several other properties, including a roadside end, complete with a below-ground pool. Mrs. Cundiff hired several members of the nearby Hopi Indian tribe to work at the gas station and the inn, and during this time, more stone structures were erected above the caves. This took advantage of that natural cooling the air from beneath and to sell the tourists in the 1930s and 40s Indian handmade goods. Now, the most recent advances of the property took place in the 1970s and 80s, where portions of the zoo were rebuilt and reopened. Uh, this was, at the time, became a big cat refuge for mountain lions, bobcats, and panthers. So if you go out to Arizona and you're seeking this ghost town of a place, you're still going to see remnants. I will say the pictures I saw online kind of resemble 
castle turrets and towers. It's 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 definitely a, an eye to you know sight to see. But um, as you walk through, you'll hear those footsteps. They say possibly of the Indians. You will smell that smoke. Uh, you'll hear Indian chanting and drums, and they are said to be especially careful around the bluffs and cliffs because people have been pushed and shoved. So watch out. Well, we're going to jump state lines a little bit. I'm going to talk about the Moaning Cavern in Vallecito, California, which kind of has an interesting story and arguably one of the more interesting hauntings I've ever heard of. The Moaning Cavern was discovered by gold miners in 1851, and it was named after the sound that air made passing through the entrance and through the cave. It made a moaning sound is the way it was described. Now, since people are what people are and we're going to destroy everything that we can get our hands on... (laughs) They expanded the entrance to allow public access and in the process disrupted the moaning sound. So the moaning cavern no longer moans. Aww. Yeah. That's a huge letdown. Now, one False of the... False advertising. Th- yeah. One of the things people ha- have reported when and I kind of dig into this a little bit because I found it very interesting. Now, some people claim to hear the echoes like a hammer knocking on the rocks deep within the cavern. Or this cave is thought by some to be home to the mythical creatures known as Tommyknockers. Mm. Uh, we've talked about the Fae before. These would fall in line with them. They're described as impish and gnome-like, similar to leprechauns or brownies. They're about two foot tall, kind of greenish in color, and usually look like men, you know, roughly, wearing a traditional miner's outfit. I guess they originated in Germany, and in, in, in German they call them the Bergesiter and the Bergemainlein, uh, which means mountain ghost or little miners. Now, some believe these are the spirits of miners who may have perished in the cave-ins. Right, I've heard that. Now, sometimes the knocks can represent warnings of imminent collapse, and good knockers will bring miners favor and wealth. If a miner has escaped a cave-in, for an example, you know, the Tommy knocker would be given credit. Uh, others say their knocking actually causes cave-ins, and bad knockers bring misery, injury, or death to those who doubt them. If a tool is missing, for example, you would blame the Tommy knockers. So I've had that a, a neat little thing. And apparently they were brought over. The Tommy knockers, you could say, were not native to America, but they kind of started in Welsh lore as well. And Welsh miners in the area, you know, they brought the Tommy knocker stories with them. And, and who knows, maybe they brought the Tommy knockers with them. Right. I had a little short story I'll insert there about the Tommyknockers. Um, in 2018, there was a pair of old miners that were uh, monitored by two paranormal investigators on video surveillance uh, because of the hauntings or alleged hauntings of a particular mine. This was also in Arizona. The older gentleman was probably pushing 70, and he heard the Tommyknocker, the, the, the noise. And I don't know if the other one was possibly his son, age group. It looked like he was probably 40s, 45, half the man's age. But the old man was like, get up now, let's go. I mean, he was he was quite animate. They got out of the cave. And, of course, the, the two guys, or guy and the gal, the paranormal researchers that were recording it, you know, went to meet them at the entrance. You know, what happened? They didn't have the audio. They only had the video. Yeah. And, you know, he said, well, there was a Tommy knocker I heard, you know, blah, blah. And he was going on. So the paranormal investigators grabbed all their equipment, immediately went in. And within 10 to 12 feet of where they were recording, a major collapse had occurred. So I won't say it would have got them, but it was it would have definitely yeah. made them have to go home and change their drawers, I'm sure. <laughs> so, yeah, kind of in line with that. So back to the Moaning Cavern. Some say it is haunted by the prehistoric peoples whose remains have been discovered in that particular cavern. There are uh, said to be three ghostly miners whose apparitions are seen in the cave. Now, though, there was apparently an open hole 
that was very hard to discern in the darkness as they were mining, and then three of these miners fell into the cave. Oof. Uh, now, a, a fourth miner almost fell in at kind of at the same time, but he they eventually roped the area off to prevent people from falling. But people do continue to see ghostly miners in and around the cave, and again, some of them claim to have heard miners hard at work. So are they hearing the ghostly miners, or are they hearing the tommy knockers? You know, who's to say? Right. Now, my favorite little haunt here in the Moaning Cavern is there is the allegedly the ghost of a saber-toothed tiger that fell to its death in the cave that haunts the area. That's an interesting concept. And, and, and visitors do claim to feel as if they've been stalked and occasionally see a saber-toothed tiger wow. watching them. Now, uh, one of his fangs is noticeably chipped, uh, presumably in the fall, and regulars of the mine call him Chip. So he's, he's and, and, and he's confirmed by multiple sightings. So I found that to be interesting. We always talk about human ghosts. We yeah. rarely talk about those. Yeah, of, that's going back to dinosaur yeah, age. We rarely talk about prehistoric predators. What if there predators. are dinosaur ghosts anywhere? Well, you, well I mean, if, if Chip's running around. If Chip's running around, maybe he would know. Yeah. Why don't, why don't we see dinosaur ghosts? Yeah, I don't know. We're going to have to check into that. Well, I've got another one. This is in Athens, Greece. It's called the Penteli or Devels Cave. Uh, now, it's been used centuries ago as a place to worship the Greek god known as Pan, who was over farming and crops. Here, practices in the cave often were associated with orgies and celebrations. The cave was mysteriously shut down by the Greek government uh, in the mid-1970s through the 1980s for unknown reasons. It is speculated that it was for possible secret studies for nuclear or a practice ground for combat and different things for the war. However, to this day, no official description has been given by the government. Now, this is a place of mystery and has been for centuries. It is definitely considered extremely haunted. Uh, Demonic-looking sheep are often spotted. This is kind of a new one, I thought. Right along there with Chip. Gigantic shadow people. I would call them even giant form. And also, this was strange, they had recorded water running up the walls of the cave, defying gravity. And commonly, we do here in caves, this happens here as well, batteries are instantly drained and a great feeling of dread is felt. Now, this cave is very difficult to get to, quite honestly, unless you want to hike about two miles uh, or you have a small 4x4 uh, vehicle. With good clearance, uh, the road is very narrow, has a lot of protruding rocks, and it's by saying it's a one-lane road is pushing the limit. I mean, it's it's almost a three-quarters of a lane road that leads up the mountain. Now, if you happen to have a four-wheeler, a motorcycle, or maybe a small Jeep and you made it, there is a little spot you can turn around there in the mouth of the cave. But still today, if you as you approach, there are signs of concrete structures that was abandoned when the government did have uh, control of this area. And most people that visit uh, end up doing that two-mile trek by foot to reach the isolated location. As you approach the entrance of the cave, it is massive in size to the point that small buildings resembling an ancient church and shrine are actually in the mouth of the cave. It literally looks like it's right out of the movie set of like Indiana Jones. In fact, a Visitine church at one time was erected right here inside of the mouth of the cave, and that's part of the structures that you'll actually see. It's rumored that the church was built there in the mouth of the cave to keep the evil inside the cave from spreading out across the land. While in ruins, still there are signs of stone archways, doors, and buildings, and fire pits, adding that creepy, mysterious decor to greet you. There's a movie called The Descent. Mm Mm-hmm. 
you said it sounds like you've seen it but at the beginning it sounds very similar to that because they they go in through like this opening and it's almost like a cathedral inside and then there's like a marking on the floor that's basically like you know if you you know depicts some sort of medieval battle of like the man of some knight sealing some sort of great I saw the movie it's been a number of years ago I'll I'll I actually go back and kind of reference that I watched it not that long ago with my son but it sounds very similar like it's this ruined temple and of course when they punch through to go into the cave underneath you know monsters yeah of course all (laughs) hell breaks loose well ghost owners have reported feeling nausea as soon as they approach that entrance uh, especially once they pass the remnants the ruins of the of the church if you will or the chapel You can hear what also sounds like small stones being thrown, as well as scratches that often appear unexplained on anyone's back, legs, or arms, as well as whispering voices. Headaches, blurred vision, and sinus bleeding have also been reported. Yeah, fun times, fun times. Well, I mean, some of that stuff could be associated with change in environment, but I'm not, yeah. I mean, random bleeding seems abnormal. The cave has long been associated with various different cult groups practicing inside the entrance. Uh, Even as late as the 2020s, there were apparent new fires and altars that had been erected and can be seen. It's not considered to be a singular entity by any means, but rather just a location of paranormal energy, I believe, or possibly a gateway to something. Just a bad place. A bad place with a good movie set. (laughs) So... I know, Eric, you went to another country, but I'm still going to stay with America. But we're going to cross the ocean. We're going to go to Hawaii for Kaneana Cave. I loved what you told me about this. Now, I'm, I'm going to try to tell, try to pronounce these names with Hawaiian pronunciation. I'm not going to say I'm an expert by any means, but I had a young lady that worked for me who was Hawaiian. I had a very long Hawaiian last name, and I had her help me with the pronunciation of it. Because, Eric, I'm particular about names. I've always said names, that, that's yours, yours alone, so I want to make sure I get your name right, so I didn't want to butcher this young lady's name when I said it. Um, of course, to, to come right down to the truth, anytime I needed to talk to her, I only referred to her by her first name, because there was no way I was getting the last name right. <laughs> so I am going to butcher these names. Well, as kudos we say for you for making that fatal attempt. So, Kaniana Cave uh, sits at the base of, a, of an outcropping. It's about 100 feet tall and about 450 feet deep. And I believe it channels all the way through this bluff. So on one side, you're like on the road. But if you go all the way through, you end up on a beach on the other side. And it comes out. And I believe part of it is actually submerged. Oh, wow. Okay. uh, The thought is that it's about 150,000 years old and was once completely submerged underwater. Now, the Hawaiians have many legends and tales about this cave. One say that it, it was in this cave that mankind was born in the womb of the Earth Goddess. And Kaniana translates to Cave of Cain, and, and Cain is the god of creation. And it may be Kane. I don't, I mean, again, pronunciation. Right, it's Hawaiian. Right. Uh, another tale involves Kemo, Kemo Ho'ali'i, which is a shapeshifter that could change into a shark or a man. Uh, now, he and his human wife gave birth to a son, Nana'ue, and Nana'ue uh, discovered his, a taste for human flesh, as most man-eating sharks would. Yeah, makes sense. Um, so he would disguise himself as human and sort of lurk at the entrance to the cave and lure people in. Uh, either he would devour them in the cave or he would take them all the way through to the, the beach on the other side. And when they got into the water, he would swim way out, transform, come back and devour them. So he wasn't really a good dude. <laughs> the Hawaiian people were forbidden from entering this cave because it was an unsafe place. And eventually those that lived near the cave would discover Nanue's true nature and they would capture and kill him. So... 
Is he still there? Probably not. Now, another tale talks of the kahuna, which are the priests uh, that they use to perform rituals in this cave. And uh, the souls of deceased chiefs haunt the cave even to this day. Now, many consider the cave to be an opening to hell. There are many sightings of a creepy creature covered in scabs with red eyes living in the cave. Now, I don't want to poach from other podcasts, but I did hear this story. directly relates to what I just said. This anecdote was related on Facebook by Joe Punohu. And, and here's the, his story. Uh, it would have been sometime between 1999 and 2001. He was just out of high school, and him and his friends are out looking for adventure. So they're driving around, and they know about this cave. It's a local legend, you know. So they arrive at the cave. They heard it was haunted. They wanted to see what that's all about. So during the day, of course, they're there during the daylight hours, you know. Let's be honest. If you're going to visit a haunted cave, you're not going at night. Yeah, don't go at night. Not a good <laughs> idea. So there were other people there, which they presumed were tourists. And, you know, they're staying in the sort of the front part of the cave that's still well lit, taking pictures. And they weren't going very far in. Well, he's decided, him and his friends, you know, they're going to show these these tourists, you know, these guys, you know, they're locals. They're brave. So they, they go back into some of the darker places of the cave and eventually decide, you know, they're going to return later that night and explore night it when no one's the there. Cave. We just talked about that. Bad idea. And while he's there, he remembers the old legend of, uh, you know, some sort of some sort of shark god that lived in the cave. And sightings of this shark god said he had a, a shark tattoo, a shark mouth tattoo on his back, and he had developed a taste for human flesh. So, of course, he's remembering these old legends. So him and his friends, they return around midnight, and they park across the street from the entrance to the cave. They sit there for an hour or so to build up their courage. Because, again, I don't know about you, but I'm not charging off into the entrance of a haunted cave without, you know, working myself up first. Uh, now, as they enter the cave, they feel a chill that seems to push back against them, and he described it as a more than physical sensation. It was like a, a, a an energy, a psychic attack, maybe, something like that. Like, it really just pushed at the soul. Like, hmm. you do not want to be here. So He didn't accept the warning, though. Yeah. <laughs> now, like, although, you know, the Hawaiian Islands are all volcanic in nature, and so some of the cave is actually lava tubes. And, you know, lava is very sharp, and it, it, it does cut. Cut. Razor well, blade sharp. forgot to bring, like, knee pads and elbow pads. Not prepared. No all. kind of helmet. Um, they, they brought, you know, a lot of other supplies, but they forgot these things. So they do get cut up a little bit. But they get down in these tubes, and they're crawling, and they crawl for, like, a good 30 or 45 minutes. And they thought, well, at this point in time, we should have come to the water, right? Or they thought they were below sea level at this point, so... To them, they're already a little weirded out. Like, it doesn't seem normal. So, about this time, they decide, okay, we're going to turn around. Uh, they're, they're getting more and more nervous. They're feeling more and more uncomfortable. This this pushing on the soul is like, you know, we really should be getting out of here. When the guy in front, which was Joe, he, he sees something up ahead. He goes, maybe it's an opening. Maybe it opens out. But there's definitely something up ahead of us. So, they all agree they're going to crawl up ahead and see what that is. Well, they get maybe five feet. When something walks through their flashlight beam in this this opening. Now, as far as they know, they're here by themselves. And the initial impression is this is a homeless man. But whatever it is, they're under the impression that it did this to be seen. So, like, okay. It's not afraid at all. Yeah. It's like, hey, here I am. So, they stop. They freeze. They don't know what to do. So, they're like, well, we'll, we'll just watch. We'll see what happens. So, after about two minutes... The figure walks back the other way across that cave opening. At this point in time, it kind of stops for a moment as if to like give them an opportunity to, to see it. And it's, it's got rough skin, the texture of scabs 
arms and legs that barely resemble those of a human being, but just inhuman. This is not a person. And what size would this be? Um, I think they said it was like hunched over, so it was kind of hard to guess, but, you know, even maybe four foot hunched over. Okay. Okay. Well, they do what anybody's going to do, and they immediately try to scramble back in a panic. <laughs> now, mind you, again, they're all On cut up. rocks. Yeah, they're all cut up. They've busted open their head. They've got blood running in their eyes. You know, knees and elbows are all tore up. But they, they start taking out, you know. Again, I told you they were like 30, 45 minutes. It takes them maybe five minutes to get out of the cave. I mean, they are getting out of there. And the whole time, Joe's in the back. Because remember, he was in the front going in. Right. There's no way to get around. He keeps hearing things behind him in the cave. Whatever it is, it's keeping up with. Maybe it it's, sensed their blood. Yeah, like like claws. It. Yeah, I mean, well, shark, you know. Mm-hmm. But there's like clawing sounds on the rocks. So they get out of their ca- they get out of the cave and they run across the street. They jump in their cars. Joe goes to turn the keys. Nothing. Of course not. Now he sits in the car for a minute, building up his courage. He's watching. He doesn't know what to do. He hops out of the car. He runs over. He starts pounding on his buddy's car window. Hey man, you gotta let me in. My car won't start. So he gets in the buddy's car. The buddy turns the keys. Nothing. Oof. His car won't start. Now they're all freaking out. What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do, man? Something. You know. Blah 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 blah. And then. The people that are looking back towards the cave suddenly just go quiet and start pointing. You know, they all turn and look at the cave entrance and something is coming towards them. Now, it's kind of cloudy. It's overcast. They can't really see it. They just see this shape. Well, like any good story, the clouds break nearly full moon. (laughs) They see this this creature. Like I said, it's, it's maybe three to four feet tall. It's all hunched over. It doesn't seem to have a neck like the head just at the base of the skull just seems to widen out to go to to the shoulders yeah like it's all one the eyes are glowing red and i mean it's covered it's, in the scabs yeah this just scabby skin texture that's because of the sharp rocks inside <laughs> maybe <laughs> it comes just limping shuffling towards them and it gets to the the, the 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 line in the middle of the road and it stops and it just stares at them and it, it doesn't move another inch, almost as if that center line is like you can't a cross boundary, here. yeah. And it just kind of stares at him for a little while and then turns around and staggers back up to the entrance of the cave. So after a little while, they try the cars again. Buddy's car starts. Joe sits in there for a little while. He's like, well, I got to try mine. He runs up, gets in his car. It starts right up. And I mean, they just speed back home to get out, get away from this creature. Like a bat out of hell. I heard Joe, in his own words, relate this story on another podcast. And again, I hate to poach from another podcast, but it's been years. And, and this is on Facebook, so it's out there for the public. He, he tells that story. You can hear it in his voice. But this still shakes him to this day. He saw this. Well, he that whole firsthand this. account. You know, nothing better than that. Yeah. So that, I, I thought that, is, that's, that one was a good one. And I'm, I... I'm glad I found it again because that is definitely one that I wanted to relate here. I love that. The whole shark boy scab creature monster. That's that's the stuff of nightmares. Well, I've got one more. Uh, This is the Crank Cave. Uh, It's over in the United Kingdom uh, near St. Helens, Moseyside. Used primarily as a sandstone quarry in the 1730s, the cave system has had many uses, including ammo storage facility during the various wars. There are numerous myths and legends about the cave itself. Probably the most well-known is that King Henry, during 1491, actually sought shelter here as well as for his troops. It is of that size. 
one of the more favorite I thought was is vicious dwarves were also rumored to inhabit the caves and often fought off any that dare enter into their underground labyrinth. That's the worst kind of dwarf. Vicious. They need beer. (laughs) Drunken dwarves are always better. In the late 14th century, four small children entered the cave and never emerged, lost somewhere in the deep catacombs of darkness, possibly rumored to be that of the world of the Fae. Over the next several decades, authorities became concerned with an increasing amount of disappearances of people uh, missing after entering the caves. This is over a span of about 20 years, starting with those four small children. So, two heavily armored soldiers were sent in to investigate. Uh, This is thought to be around the 14th century. They returned to report they had found a heaping, this is the words they used, heaping pile of bones, some of which were human remains, that was left nearby some ruins of an underground-like chapel. Unknown denominations or origins, they could not find any markings or, you know, uh, symbols that would tie it to anything. And throughout the investigation by the soldiers, they reported this uneasy feeling as if they were being watched or possibly even stalked. Uh, They also heard voices in unknown languages. Now, one did report that they did find a small child's skull and apparent signs of cannibalism with certain bones being sawed, then gnawed upon by unknown sources. Now, I was not aware of this, but apparently overseas, similar to limestone here in the United States, sandstone seems to have the same belief of holding and recording paranormal energy or those residual hauntings overseas. Uh, Some of the things that the cave is known for is uh, footsteps that you can hear, glowing eyes that seem to lurk and follow almost like it's blinking to get around and and being able to almost like teleport, Uh, Tommy knockers that we've talked about, Uh, the fact of being touched, hair being pulled, hair on the arm or the neck standing up, EMF readings going just totally off the charts randomly, Uh, Many were non-repeatable when they went back to that exact spot. And this particular group was using uh, an electronic talking box. And this is fast-forwarding into uh, late 90s, early 2000s. I want one of those. I do, too. I look them up on Amazon on a regular basis. They're still outlandish. I mean, they're not cheap, but I have seen seen videos that, I mean, it, it cannot just be random. Yeah. Now, for those who may not be in... You know, understand what a talking box is. It's the type of electronic box that scans frequencies of radio, yeah, TV, whatever you it, know available. I think you can make one actually if you have the right tools and all that. But it, yeah, it, it is essentially a radio that is con- constantly skipping to the next radio band. Mm-hmm. And the idea is is that the spirit will be able to isolate the words it's looking for as it skips through you're giving it a voice and so those words will come through and like i said i have seen video and in it's on youtube you can say it's doctored or you can say whatever where people have asked a question and gotten a very clear distinct answer out of this box it seems too organized to be random yes so i would agree with that statement Well, this group uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s was using one of these electronic talking boxes and a voice was heard saying help and distrusting multiple times in different voices. Those words help and distrusting would come through. At one point, an apparition was seen with enough detail that they stated it was a big burly man with a bushy beard and mustache. And I thought this was an odd fact. Yeah, it was you, Bill. (laughs) 
They had neon blue eyes. Now, normally when you see an apparition, a lot of them lack that detail or color now, even. Now, um, a lot of times, and, and this may just be a convention of modern day, but I would say a lot of times in, in North Norse mm-hmm. mythology, that and legend kinda, and yeah, those stories, the, their dead do usually seem have to have blue eye. vibrant blue eyes. Well, big burly bearded guy. That would definitely fit Viking Norse you know, type. At another point, some items that had been placed on a nearby rock uh, was knocked off. This was on camera with no one around. Now, again, guys, this isn't a wobbly table with possibly a loose leg. This is a slab of rock in a cave that created a natural ledge. They believed that the apparitions, plural, was trying to introduce themselves and manifesting, uh, trying to make their presence known. In response, rumblings and growls could be heard to questions. Uh, one of them they caught on tape was seriously it, it kind of would have sounded like that saber-toothed tiger chip that you were mentioning <laughs> it was that very deep rough you know growl now the paranormal leader uh, states that many feel the cave is haunted by a presence he states he does not personally feel it's evil it's just curious and a very very old spirit still others believe they there are warring spirits here in the cave possibly deceased priests of that chapel uh, still warding off the evil possible evil spirits within now the group quickly kind of has to rethink what's going on in the cave when two of their battery packs and their camera and light are almost immediately drained when these items are knocked off they're getting the the talking box responses all of this is happening like with just in moments Uh, These batteries were at maximum charge before entering the cave. So two of their batteries on their camera and one of their lights are just like immediately drained. So they have to pull out the third, their backup battery, uh, totally fresh, totally charged, to allow them to retreat out of the cave before they literally find themselves in total darkness. And it's almost like the entity or entities are chasing them. They are showing videotaping the battery, and you can actually watch the battery being drained as they're trying to get out of the cave. This is creepy. There are also several large spikes on the group's uh, K2 meter that would appear and disappear just as quickly. Uh, They could not repeat the K2 spikes when they did stop for a moment and tried to retrace their steps. So it was like whatever was following them was constantly moving. It wasn't like there was something in the rock or something, you know, mineral or something that was there. When the paranormal group was approaching the cave, the mouth of the cave, to make their exit, it became very apparent the entities that were inside did not want them to leave. There were, there were immediately whispers and voices that could be heard, as well as massive spikes on the EMF and K2 meters all going off in unison. So they did stop right there at the mouth of the cave. I guess they felt pretty comfortable at this point. Yeah, we can make it out if <laughs> the last battery gets drained. They stopped to ask the spirit or spirits, do you want us to stay? And they would get a respond on the meters uh, to the questions. Now, there was no mention of the talking box at this point. So I guess maybe they'd maybe put it up in, in their retreat. Oddly, about the same time, a swarm of flies seemed to appear around them and land on the group's face and nearby rocks. I mean, thousands of flies. Flies are uncommon in a cave. Well, and I was going to say, have you seen any uh, movie like the the Amityville stuff? Bad juju, bad stuff. Yeah. So all these flies just kind of like plague down, crawl on their face, trying to get their mouth and stuff. And as I said, flies are not commonly associated with the cave. Now, again, they were within visual distance of the mouth, so possibly. But generally, it's, it's just too cold and not a good terrain for them. 
But Crank Cave has held her secrets for centuries, and it doesn't appear that she's going to be giving those up anytime soon. But boy, if those walls could talk. It sounds like they're trying. <laughs> <laughs> they're reaching out. Bring us more batteries. <laughs> so I've got a couple of anecdotes here that aren't really as detailed as some of the stories we've told already. So I think uh, there'll be some, some good ones to wrap up with. A couple of stories that I really found very interesting. Toronto, Canada, August 1978. A man who identified himself only as Ernest, uh, 51 years old at the time, went out searching for a missing kitten from a litter that him and his wife had been raising. Aww. While he's searching, he stumbles across the a tunnel entrance. Um, you know, like a cave, a rough cave entrance. And he decides he's going to go back and get a flashlight and investigate. You know, maybe the cat sought shelter in this cave. Definitely need to insert some, like, little kitty mews here. Mews. So he gets about 10 feet in when he comes across a creature. He described it as uh, looking like a long, thin monkey about three feet tall. had large teeth and was covered in gray fur. had uh, unsettling eyes set in deep sockets peering out from the darkness. Kind of glowed a, a bright orange color and were slanted. And we're in Canada. This is Canada. A monkey. Toronto, Canada. Okay. Uh, Ernest says at that point the creature spoke to him. And it said, go away, go away in a hissing voice. And then it took off down a long tunnel that branched off to the side. Curious, George got lost. Well, Ernest obviously does what you're going to do, which is go away. <laughs> he he grudgingly told his story to the Toronto Sun newspaper uh, sometime later after some encouragement. Uh, and staff from the Sun decided, okay, we're going to go back, Mr. You know, Ernest, if you're going to show us where this is at. So they go back in uh, March of 1979, where they do, in fact, find an entrance to a cave. Uh, this led in uh, it led to a narrow tunnel that drops off, and they assume it led down to the city sewer system. Uh, they never found any evidence of the creature, but but they did find the carcass of a cat half buried. Ooh, so maybe maybe yeah. it found the cat. Uh, when sewer officials were questioned about what Ernest had seen, one employee gave the following ominous statement: "People who work on the surface just don't know what it's like down there. It's a whole different world." Who would have thought a few years ago that people would live in sewers, and yet that's what we found in New York a few years back. I don't know what he saw down here. I'll tell you one thing. If we could get in there, I sure as hell wouldn't go alone. So Stands to reason. And then a tale from Masquoquita Cave State Park in Iowa. So uh, I did not know Iowa had caves. Apparently it does. Huh. They have a, this is a whole state. This is a whole park dedicated to caves. Wow. So there must I be have a family from Iowa. I've never known this. So a young man travels there with a couple of friends, and they're all going to go caving, right? They're going to explore these caves. Uh, they find this one particular small cave, and they're, they're going to they're gonna explore it. Now, it starts with about a 45-foot belly crawl, which I've been in a cave similar to that. As a matter of fact, what he describes sounds very familiar to me because it sounds not, like a cave I've been fun. in. Not fun. No. Um, I ruined every article of clothing I had on that day, <laughs> including my underwear. Yeah, you just like, throw them away. Just, everything. There's just no washing. Yeah. But, uh, so they, they've got this 45 feet belly crawl. And at the opening, like cobwebs were blocking the entrance. And they're like, well, you know, that's kind of something. But after a little bit, it seemed like Again, the cobwebs were Spiders are usually not associated in caves. Well, I would argue that I, I would the think that they would be but so this young man being the most experienced caver of the group he, he goes ahead and goes first so he belly crawls his 45 feet and he comes out to a small domed chamber that's seven eight feet tall 12 feet across and he's describing to those coming but you know he's yelling back down that little you know belly crawl give him heads up like what to expect well he looks up and he's just caught off guard he says whoa hey 
the sheer volume of spiders in this chamber. Ugh. You know, he said it, it was probably anywhere in the neighborhood of a thousand to fifteen hundred spiders oh. in this chamber. And and think about, it. I mean, seven to eight, twelve feet and across. You just crawled out on your yeah. belly into this room, and and they had egg sacks and stuff. I mean, this was just like a spider's lair. This is like right out of Harry Potter. So he calls back. He goes, "Man, there's a lot of spiders. Uh, just don't stand up when you come in here." So their friends start asking questions. Hey, man, describe these spiders to us. So he yells back, well, they're not that big. They kind of look like black widows, but they're not. They're the wrong color. They're brown. The legs are a little lighter than the body. Now, one of his friends was a warden with the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources. He's like, he kind of gets this tone in his voice, and he goes, do they have a small pattern on their back, kind of like a violin? Oh, if you're familiar with Missouri spiders. Oh, yeah. So, of course, he's like, yeah, they do. So the warden comes in. He looks up, kind of, and he leans in to get a close look at one of the spiders, and then he just turns white. He turns to him. He's like, get out. Everybody get out of oh, the cave. Yeah. And, and you know, he didn't say anymore. He just He's just scrambling for that cave, that belly crawl to get back out. Poison, they, poison. They claim it took about 20 minutes to get in. They took about three minutes to get out. <laughs> uh, and when they got outside, the warden looked at everybody and said, so uh, those were brown recluses. Those are nasty creatures. Familiar, I've been bitten by one of those. My uncle got bit, and it put a hole all the way through his foot. Yes. So, I mean, it will rot the flesh. Well, Just we, a single bite, much less We had a coworker that. that missed a whole bunch of time. She got bit and apparently had a reaction to it. And, I mean, she didn't lose any limbs or anything, but people, people have been known to lose entire limbs. I got bit on a finger, and I... I've lived in Missouri all my life. It's so weird because you hear a lot about brown recluse spider bites. I had never had one until, well, last eight years. And, yeah, I just, it got numb. I couldn't feel the skin, and it started getting discolored and infected. So I went to the doctor, and I guess there was enough there that they could see the two little puncture wounds. And they said, oh, yeah, this is a brown recluse bite. And I was, again, just kind of blown away because I was born and raised here, and I mean, I grew up on farms. We were crawling around in barn haylofts and stuff all the time. You would yeah. think where where they would be, but yeah, it was nasty. They had to give me a bunch of uh, medicine to try to fight the infection, and I, I don't, I didn't really have a fear of like losing my finger or nothing. But I definitely lost a chunk of meat off that finger that well, took a while to regrow. Again, it's not their first impulse to attack people. We're we're much bigger than their regular prey. Yeah. So. Well, we hope that you have. Enjoy diving deeper with us on this cave episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Thanks so much for listening. And there are also many sightings of a creechy... Of a creechy... <laughs> creechy creeper. Hate those creechies. There are many... There. We'd like to give a shout out to our first uh, paying sponsor, Raven's Loft. That's our family shop here located in uh, Lebanon, Missouri. It's your one-stop gaming, vintage toy, and collectible shop where you can find Star Wars, Transformers, G.I. Joe, comics, vinyl records, role-play gaming, Magic the Gathering, and so much more. We're located here at 223 West Commercial, downtown Lebanon, and also in our second location, uh, also here in Lebanon, at the Heartland Antique Mall. We'd like to thank Ravensloft for, again, supporting Nightmares on the Lost Highway. I want to take a time to thank the people that helped bring this all together. Uh, Alex Tudor, you can almost call him our producer at this point. Sarah Tudor, who also helps with some of the technical stuff. I want to take a moment to extend thanks to Eric for letting us use his space to record in, kind of our makeshift studio. 
I, in turn, would like to thank Bill for, one, putting up with me and uh, using this camaraderie to do something we both very much love and enjoy doing, and thank Bill's family for allowing him to spend all the time to work and clean up our recordings and present them in what uh, you hear in the final uh, terms, uh, the final edition, if you will. Um, And I'd like to thank all of you for continuing to, to listen. I know we've got some loyal followers out there. We do this as a labor of love, but we're, we're happy that there are people that enjoy it as, hopefully as much as we do. Thank you very much.